Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah, it is your OG hosts tonight, just Ando, <laughs> just Mitch. I'm Ando. No, I'm joking. I'm Mitch. You're <laughs> Ando. How are you, Ando? Who am I? Yeah, mate, I'm good. The missus was away for the weekend, so it was just a boy's house and it was loads of fun. Lots of rugby watched or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably more rugby than I would normally watch because there's no one to tell me to uh, turn a TV off and spend more time with the kids. Oh, I no just one... made them watch the rugby as well. Oh, no one to share the screen with. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Well, before we dive into our socials and what we're doing this evening, I do have a rugby-related question for you. So, okay. are you ready to get into that and answer? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's go. So, next year, 2023, is the Rugby World Cup for the men. My question for you, Ando, is if you are going to coach any team that's participating in Rugby World Cup 2023, who would it be and why? Oh, God. Um, look, I'd probably argue against um, some of the Tier 1 nations because I think that the expectation placed mm. upon them is really, really high. Yeah. And the reality is I don't know enough to be able to actually be a Tier yeah. 1 level, uh, to be a coach in any way, shape, or exactly. form. So I'd be looking to get kind of one of the Tier 2 nations that really, um, with with all due respect, are happy that they've been able to get to the, the competition. Um, so perhaps somebody along the likes of um, Spain, they recently made it through. Okay. Uh, Spain would be an interesting call. Um, oh, I'm trying to think who else. Maybe uh, Uruguay or, yeah, I, I, you know what, the more Georgia. I think about it, yeah, I, I don't know. They're pretty intense, man. They'd intimidate me a lot just with the size of some of their forwards. That's true. So I reckon I'd go someone like Spain because I think you'd have a fair bit of time once the competition was done um, while well, the, the pool rounds are done to have some parties and to go to some great events as you're watching the kind of qualifying or the uh, knockout rounds occurring. Yeah, that's a good shout. I like that. Uh, yeah. I would go with, I think, one of the Pacific Island nations, particularly now that the eligibility laws have been relaxed. So... Someone like Tonga or Samoa with the likes of bringing in a Sakopi Kepu or even a Israel Folau, having one of those kind of hotshot players being able to play for them would be pretty sick. And mm. as as with those players, there is a little bit of expectation from the nations, but it's nowhere near as much as you know England, South Africa, New Zealand. If, if either of those teams don't make it out of the pool stages or even out of the, the quarterfinals, then it's, it's panic stations, but... You can, you've sort of got a free pass if you're with Tonga or Samoa or any, or one of those teams. Yeah, it's like, let's see if we can take a big scalp and uh, do our best from there, but there's less expectation. Yeah, so I think that'd be fun. Anyway, enough of that. We will get to Rugby twenty rugby World Cup 2023 when we get to it next year. Uh, why don't you take us through our social media platforms and then I'll go through Super Brew results for this week. Awesome. So there's been a few really good uh, chats that we've had over the last couple of days on Twitter, so get us involved at pick underscore drive rugby we're also on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby and on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast again thank you to all of our supporters who have 
chipped in at coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby. That's ko fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. If you like what we do, and even if you don't, think about throwing in a little bit of cash here and there to support what we do on the pod. All money that comes in goes directly to improving the quality of what we do here. So thank you, Mitch. Back to you for the Super Brew. Fantastic. So if we're looking through the results of Super Brew this week, we do have the yellow cap going to Dingo, who's taken out the round on 10 points, followed closely by Liquorbox on 8 points, and then CJ on 7.5. Now, I don't know who Liquorbox is or what he does or how he's so good, but we are talking about him week in, week out. So I think we're going to have to get him on the pod soon, I think, Andrew, because he clearly (laughs) knows a lot more than we do. Along with David Eskey, we're always talking about David Eskey near the top of the um, Super Brew leaderboard as well. And um, that actually takes us to the overall ranking. So Dan Murray is in first place on 46.75 alongside David Eskey, who is also on 46.75. So that's pretty impressive in my mind. Well, actually, looking at the top three, so Damo's coming in third. They're all on 46.75 total. But when you go to their win points, we've got Dan Mori in first place on 33 win points, David Eski in second place on 32, and then Damo on 31. So not a lot of differentiation up the top there. Uh, I would love to be up there, but unfortunately, I am down the bottom somewhere. Yeah, let's not talk about where we are and move on to what we're talking about this week. So we have a lot of things on the pod that we're going to be covering. Uh, we want to chat through the Super W round five. There was a titanic matchup between the Fijiana Indrua and the New South Wales Waratahs women that we want to go through, as well as um, the Queensland Reds versus the Melbourne Rebels. And then we'll get into the Super Rugby Pacific round seven review before we go through the locker room, which has had a heap of listener questions and engagement. So very excited to do that. Why don't we jump into the Super W round five? Let's go. We'll start off this the pod this week with a chat around Super W and the results from round five. So there were three games played over the weekend. We'll quickly run through the results first and we might talk a little bit of the games in a bit more detail then. So we had the Queensland Reds women taking the victory off the Melbourne Rebels women, 55-5. We then had the Fijiana Indrua playing the New South Wales Waratahs women, which has been the talk of the season so far. The Fijiana Indrua did come away quite convincingly victors in this game, 29-10. And then today, earlier this afternoon, we had the Brumbies women playing the Western Force in Canberra, and the Brumbies women did come away victors, 27 to 19. So, Ando, let's dive into the first game um, of the round, which happens to probably be the game of Super W of the year so far, and that is the Fijiana Indrua over the New South Wales Waratahs. What were your immediate takeaways from this game? Uh, well, firstly, the Waratahs lost their 21-game winning streak. They are now not undefeated within Super Rugby in any kind of format or competition, which is very, very disappointing for them. Look, this this was a game that you can very easily see from two, two perspectives. The first one is that the Waratahs women were very poor. They were in so many ways the architects of their own defeat um, in terms of loose carriers, drop ball, particularly passes not sticking and passes going behind the player. Uh, they were just uncharacteristically poor. 
But at the same time, I feel like a huge amount of those uh, uncharacteristic mistakes were down to the quality of the Fijiana and Drua and the pressure that they applied with scoring three quick tries early in the match um, and their ability to constantly be a threat around the park, particularly off unbroken play. And that's not even a stereotype. It's a stereotype that rings true for this match as well. So look, the, the Drua were great. The Waratahs were not. And they are going to be hurting, I think, in the post-match review when they look back on so many of the errors that they made. And I'm very excited for the uh, uh, later clash of these teams make it into the finals. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I think in some ways, looking at the positive side for the New South Wales Waratahs women, is they they would be happy that this this game was played now and that they took the learnings from it this early in the competition. And they've still got a few weeks to finals and then they potentially, if they can keep the momentum that they've been building over the last few years and get into the grand final again, things are shaping up for it to be a Fijiana and Drua and New South Wales Waratahs grand final in a few weeks. They will learn so much from this game. There was, yeah. as you mentioned, and there were so many points in this game where the Fijiana and Drua put the New South Wales women under pressure that they just haven't been subject to previously in this competition in the last five years. And that's where I think we saw a lot of those uncharacteristic errors coming passes going into touch on the full uh, players just throwing uh, just knocking the ball on as they came into contact big hits rattling some of the star players and just really getting into their mind and getting into their psyche and just you saw you started to see players having that extra look to see who was lining up opposite them because there were some massive hits and um, it, it was a very physical game but I think the the Waratahs women have a lot they can take from this and they, if they can do things Slow things down, do things a little s- simpler next time. Um, I think they should be able to compete a little bit more against this Fijiana team. Yeah, and look, part of it, part of it's you're right in terms of um, slowing the game down, making sure that they're kicking appropriately, have a set defensive line. Uh, but there, there's a few points that the Waratahs will need to be considering is that um, having a strong kicking game isn't that effective um, at times against Fijiana and Drua because if the if the outside backs for the Drua are getting the ball and then running back, the outside backs for the Tars genu- generally aren't big enough to be putting dominant hits on, which is allowing the Drua to get the offloads, even if it's off the off the ground, just little pop passes, and then having that interplay that they're so dangerous with doing. Um, but where the Waratahs were very dangerous is offset piece play when they're able to get their back line running at pace in a little bit of space. And so they had a couple of, well, they had one excellent try that came from just really, really nice set piece play. Um, and one of the players that, I really think there needs to be a shift with um, Arabella McKenzie looked a lot better in this match or the Waratahs looked a lot better once Arabella McKenzie moved into 10. Pauline Pellier seemed to just not be as strong in taking the ball to the line and offering a bit of a triple threat in terms of run kick pass. And Arabella was a bit more effective at that, which meant that the outside backs had a little bit more space because the drill weren't sure whether or not they had to kind of look for the little pass on the inside or just be defending on the outside plays. So that was just one area that I think um, Pellier didn't have her best game and Mackenzie showed a little bit more when she was able to move back into that position. Yeah, definitely. And I think as we did say before around simple errors and things, there was a few times, particularly towards half time, where the New South Wales Waratahs were hot on attack and got mm-hmm. a penalty from set piece and then the simple errors of just the kick going dead in goal or just not finding touch 
was what was really starting to let the the t- air out of the tires and the Fijian and Indrua then just got the ball back and just ran it straight at them and so they're flipping attacking opportunities into defensive ones when all of a sudden they're actually conceding ground on on areas where they've yep. won a penalty so i think yep. if they can work on that next time and just get those simple things or those basic things right so getting the ball into touch and and not shifting it into goal and not kicking it too long when you're trying to do a cross field kick those sort of things I think that that will uh, do a massive thing for the New South Wales Waratahs team. Also, I noticed from watching this is they seem to really miss Mahalia Murphy. She has been sort of a talismanic player for them this year. She scored five tries for them last week against the Melbourne Rebels, or the last game against the Melbourne Rebels. And this week, she she was hoping to play and got pulled late in the week. Um, I think she is a massive influence on this back line and she would have done or maybe just the experience that she brings and the skill set that she has would have really helped some of the younger players to really calm the nerves a bit, settle down, really understand what's happening uh, when the Fiji and Andrew were starting to run away with the scoreline a little bit. Um, yeah, and yeah. that would have been, a, I think, a game changer in some ways. I think um, you could make a pretty easy switch where you go McKenzie to 10, Pillai to the bench, and then put Laurie Kramer in at 15 as you bring Mahalia Murphy back in onto the wing or at 15. So I thought Laurie Kramer was great, and she's got a fantastic boot on her. Her kicking action and um, the strength that she has through the kicks is is brilliant. So she was very impressive on attack and defense as well. I think she was in a, in a very well-beaten team. Laurie Kramer was one of the standouts. Yeah, definitely. I think we've said this all year, but it's so great just to have the Fijian Indrua in Super W this year and just to see the the new class that they bring to this competition and the step above that they really are offering. I think it, it may take a year or two for the other women to really get accustomed to the way that they play the game, but it's only going to do good things for the overall competition and hopefully it will continue to lift the standard of rugby as the, the years wear on. Now let's move across to the second game of the weekend, which was the Queensland women against the Melbourne Rebels, 55-5. to I haven't seen too much of this game. Did you get a chance to watch any of this one, Andrew? No, sorry, mate. I haven't seen any. I mean, it's a dominant scoreline, and it kind of just just emphasises how, in some ways, this is a little bit of a three-horse race in terms of the uh, Indrua, the Orphigiana Indrua, the Waratahs, and the Reds as kind of being the top three, although the Brumbies would probably have something to say about that in terms of the Queensland Reds in the third position. But, look, I think the Rebels have been gritty at points throughout this season and have worked hard without a shadow of a doubt. You can't ever question their work ethic, but they just don't have the experience at this point to be able to be competing against some of the more established teams. Yep, definitely. Well, shall we move away from Super W and move into our round seven, or did you have anything else? Did we say say the score for the Brumbies Western Force game? I ran through it earlier. So the score was 27-19 to the Brumbies women. Um, there wasn't... Sorry, I didn't get to see this, so I don't want to um, make any comment because I haven't seen it. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch this either. This was played this afternoon and I was at work. So other than seeing the result, I haven't had a chance to watch this. One thing I will say that has come out in terms of the women's game and Super W particularly, the, a, a fantastic initiative that the Queensland uh, women's team has done this week is they have gone through their history and they have capped every woman who has played for the Queensland team since I think it dates back to nearly 1980, um, they've gone through and given every single player who has played for them a, a cap, the same as the Queensland Reds men's team, um, a cap number, 
and they've actually recorded the results of the games they've played as well. So it's a little bit of history that we don't necessarily have across the park in Super W, and it's something that the Queensland Reds are really starting to do well uh, moving forward and being a pioneer in that area. So hopefully we can see that continue in the other franchises around Australia at the moment, and particularly in the Wallaroos, and really start to recognise the women that have come before and, and give them the accolades that they deserve. Yep, agreed. Awesome. Well, that finishes up for Super W this week. Shall I move straight into round seven of Super Rugby Pacific? Yep, let's go. Do you want me to take this on, mate? Yeah, you do this, Ando. Easy. Okay, cool. So, obviously, a bunch of games played across the weekend, some close, some not. Uh, why don't we start with, well, I guess, do we need to chat the Moana Pacifica versus Blues midweek match? That happened on Tuesday. I think we'll just mention it. It was 19 to 32, basically a B team for both of the um, Blues and Moana Pacifica because they're having to do make-up rounds for matches missed earlier in the season. Um, the first game of the weekend was Friday night over at Orange Theory Stadium. And it was the Crusaders versus the Highlanders. And they, the Crusaders, came away 17 to 14 victors in, I'm going to say it, this was a pretty boring game. <laughs> and look, I don't often say that about Kiwi games, but it was. There were, there were no points scored at all in the second half. Um, fair bit of dropped ball. Defense was winning the day. And apart from the um, justified red card that happened in about the 77th minute to a um, Crusaders player, I can't remember who it was. Um, who were the red cards? It was the Crusaders. replacement prop. Yeah, replacement prop. Um, got the red well. card. Shiloh Klein. Um, and he got a red card, second play in Cox's shoulder into the head of a player that was being tackled. Rising into the motion as well. Yeah, definite red red card, no issue there. Um, And apart from that point where the Highlanders were trying to push to um, win the game in a final kind of five minutes, and there were some excellent turnovers there from the Saders to kind of steal it at the death. That was, well, not steal it, but to defend their uh, lead. That was really the only exciting part of that second half of the game. It was pretty boring. Anything you want to say about it? Yeah, I think this is, and I don't know the history of this, and I was asking in that group chat, but is this the first time in a long time, a few years at least, that there's not been a single point scored in a New Zealand derby in the second half? That, that's got to be some sort of statistic there. You never, you hardly see that. We've always got teams going for penalties at least. Um, it's, it's Kate Lorimer that does the stats for Stan Sport Rugby, right? I believe um, so. That sounds familiar. I think we might need to get in touch with Kate and see if that is a fact. I'll type it up during the pod and we'll see if it's something by the end of it. Okay. Um, but anyway, that's for the Crusaders Highlanders. Then we move to the more important Friday night game, which was the Fijian and Drua versus the New South Wales Waratahs. Um, it was a doubleheader with the women's match as well. And that was at Seabus Super Stadium on the Gold Coast. And the Ndrua uh, went down 14 to 38. This was in... A lot of ways, a surprisingly dominant performance from the Tars. I wasn't expecting that, were you? Yeah, I think coming into this game, we were expecting the Fijian and Drua. Oh, sorry, the Fijian and Drua. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the other <laughs> team now, the male team, the Fijian and Drua, to have made a lot of learnings from the first few rounds of Super Rugby that they've played. And we've seen, particularly in their victory against the Melbourne Rebels in their follow-up game where they came home really strong, that... They were starting to do things well and they were starting to find that cohesion and the passes were sticking and they were making some good turnovers and starting to do the right things. But this week, things just sort of fell apart a little bit. They did get a red card, which we will talk about in a moment. And that is a theme of this round, apart from the game that was played this afternoon between the Chiefs 
and the Hurricanes. Every game of Super Rugby Pacific this weekend featured a red card, um, which was its own thing, which we will talk about, I think, at the end of all of the games. But yeah, I, I was expecting the Fijian and Drua to really probably put in a little bit more of a cohesive uh, performance than, than they did. They, they really kind of looked at parts like they were playing um, as individual players, not so much as a unit. Um, the Waratahs were very good at being able to exploit that and to to find holes in the defense and to, to get players through the line and score some simple tries, which was good to see from a New South Wales perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was really expecting the, the scoreline to be a little bit closer than it was. Let's just touch on the red card because it needs to be said. Um, I mean, any issue with a red card being awarded for Namani Nagusa in a 27th minute here, Mitch? Oh, look, I'm in two minds about this and I... I agree with everything that the refs have done in this game and in the adjudication process. There was contact with the head. It was late. And I think the late the late action is what probably pushes it into the red card category. But in, because the the ball had been passed, Tane Edbed had released had thrown the, the offload and was sort of cruising and took a step or two before Nagusa then makes the contact and takes his head off. But when you look at it, it's not shoulder to head, it's it's an open arm that's wrapping around and he's sort of made contact with the inside of his elbow. Um, I would have been happy with a yellow card for that initial contact had that been legal, had it not been late. And I think that area of the lateness probably pushes it into the red card area. But yeah. it's starting to get, and it's it's a theme that we saw this weekend, the referees are starting to talk themselves into severity of cards. Um, yeah. And it, it didn't... I think it could have stuck at the yellow card threshold and I would have been fine with that. Well, I'm just going to go through the um, head contact process from World Rugby. So has head contact occurred? Yes, it has. Is there foul play? Well, was it intentional? Was it reckless? And could it have been avoided? Yes, for all of those. So um, therefore, yeah, it goes on to the next one. Was the degree of danger low, kind of medium or high? I'd be arguing it was high because it was late directly to the head on a player that wasn't expecting the hit. Um, so, and is there any mitigation? No. So it's a red card um, in, in my mind. And I actually don't, this was across everything that happened in the weekend. This was the one that I had absolutely no issue with because in my mind, it was fairly cut and dry. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. I think there um, is... You go, you go. I was going to say, I think there is one way that we're handling these red cards and head contact at the moment that's not probably being uh, looked at as intently as it should be. And that should, and that is if a player does receive a head knock, they should be off for a HIA as well. So I, I think Tane Edmed should have been pulled a lot sooner than he was. I think he played another four, five, six minutes. Yeah, before it he was went a couple of minutes, wasn't it? For a HIA. Yeah. And I think in that time, he copped another two hits because there was yep. in rucks and things, there was no malice in there but um similar with the card in the brumbies games slipper played on in that instance and he got hit straight on the chin so if there is direct contact to a head i think the player needs to go off for a hia as well yeah agreed agreed i mean it's good that he did go off but it should have been a couple of minutes earlier than he actually was taken off so then moving on to the rest of the game from there because we don't want to just talk about a card um the waratahs did what they weren't able to do last week when they were playing the reds um they were only Sorry, when they were playing last week, they only got six points um, when there were players off the field in last week's match. They were able to score 17 points during the 20 minutes that Nemanja Nagusa was off the field and before the Drua could have a replacement. So that was very good. You had Charlie Gamble, the best Mo in the game, 
and Dave Parecki, followed up by uh, Jed Holloway, then gets three tries in that period. You also had a yellow card to Frank Lamani for trying to take a player's head off as well. That was um, Charlie Gamble who was trying to decapitate. Oh, that was um, that was silly. I had no issue with that because the referee had warned him twice before that yeah, for to no be careful. Tackles. First of all, for no arms in a tackle and then yep. for being late and he's done that. So yep. he's really just getting on the ref's uh, wrong side there. Yeah, so I think from an injury point of view, what we can be talking about is just uh, the the issues in terms of their um, discipline or lack thereof. There's also the problems that they've had with their training location at Lennox Head, them having to evacuate from there on Wednesday during the week, which is yep. meant to be their big training training day. Um, because of the ongoing floods in the Northern Rivers region, they're having to move base and not even sure when they can go back to Lennox Head. Um, plus, there's just ongoing disruption with their travel arrangements and access to coaches and stuff like that because I think COVID hit their coaching staff. Yeah, so Mick Byrne, um, their head coach, is, yep. is in isolation at the moment with COVID. Yep. Um, so there's there's a bunch of challenges that they're facing that um, definitely the, the team would not be seeing as excuses because uh, they obviously still want to perform regardless of those situations. But it's such a challenge that is adding into the equation for an already um, difficult proposition that they're having to face. But they need to be better and they need to be better, particularly in terms of their ball handling, as well as their um, the easy penalties that they're just giving away throughout the match. Uh, so that's that's an area that I think that they can be controlling the penalty count was 16 to nine. So that's significant enough a difference of seven penalties that is just showing that look, they need to be better because the territory was 37 to 63 against the Fijian uh, in Drua. And then possession was pretty even. So they're just not able to get out of their own halves because they keep giving away the possession half the time. Yeah, for sure. And and one thing we did see this week for the Waratahs that was pleasing was having some of those players on the bench come back and really have a big impact. So Michael Hooper this week was back from injury. Great to see him back running around. First time in Michael Hooper's New South Wales Waratahs history or career that he's worn a number that's higher than seven on his back. So the first time he's come off the bench. Uh, Great to see him back. Great to have him there. I, I think I sent a tweet out at one point saying Michael Hooper had been on the field for about 65 seconds or something and he'd already made like something six or seven tackles five tackles yeah yeah he just gets into the contact and he just has such a high work rate he just never stops so great to have him back scored a nice little meat pie as well um and uh, other player that i was really impressed with this week which we spoke about last week briefly but mark nwanganitawasi is doing better and better every week the more game time that he gets still has some errors in his game still is learning some things in terms of defense, but he's the more game time he gets, the better he looks, which is promising. Yeah, I think there's some good moments and some good opportunities coming in there. The fact that um we have a player like Noanganitawase who's able to uh, come into the starting side and perform pretty darn well over the last two games, despite some of the errors that we've spoken about last week, is really pleasing. And when you think about it, you've got James Ram and um, James Turner as well, who are still on their road back uh, from injury. So that's an even better situation. Um, one of the things that's also really fascinating is at the start of the season, there were some questions around whether it was the right thing for the Waratahs to be having three tens, three young, talented tens in their squad. Because you had Donaldson, Harrison, and Edmed. Well, the last kind of the last two weeks have really proven why it's so important to have three uh, quality players in each year's specialist positions because with Donaldson and Harrison out, although um, they're likely to be back for the next game after the bye this coming week, it just proves how 
quality it is to have those extra players. Tane Edmund had a fantastic game. Um, he worked really, really well on those little pop passes from Michael Hooper's try off Jet Holloway, which yep. was awesome. Um, and he's kicking has been fantastic as well he's he's been really class in the last two weeks so um i'm keen to see more of him but the problem is that's at the expense then of donaldson uh or harrison who i also love um so it's a really challenging one to give these guys game time but luckily in a sense for tane edmund there's been injuries which have been minor enough that the players have needed break um but not major enough that there is a long-term thing. So he has had the opportunity to show what he's capable of. And um, we as the fans are better for seeing that. Yeah, and I think DC has really sort of settled on Will Harrison as a 15, or as a fullback mm. for the Waratahs this year. So it'll be interesting to see whether how much game time he gets when he comes back and potentially we start Will Harrison and Ben Donaldson together with Tane Edmund on the bench as that backup number yep. 10 option and see if there is an injury or uh, one of those guys does pull up a little bit tight from what the current injuries they have, we then have some uh, flexibility there. Yeah, if that's the case and you're playing uh, Donaldson at 10, Harrison at 15, it wouldn't surprise me if we still see somebody like um, Alex Newsom in one of the wing positions mm. and not because I think he's better than say Dylan Peach or Mark Nwanganituase, but yep. because of the versatility, because from what I understand, Edmed is not really a 15. He's kind of an out and out 10 or maybe a 12. Um, so if Harrison goes down lame and you've got kind of uh, Edmed on the bench, well then having Newsom on the starting team means that you can move him back to fullback and shuffle things around a bit to enable um, Edmed to come on. So look, yeah. It, I just think that there's some, some good options that are happening there. Mm. Um, how good is it, by the way, having our starting front row take the field from the first minute of the game? Bell, Parecki and Harry Johnson-Holmes are just absolutely top class as a front row unit. And it's brilliant that they could get so many minutes this week. Yeah, definitely. And I think they, they're pushing up there as one of the best front rows in the Australian conference at the moment, which is fantastic to see as a New South Wales Welshman. Uh, but it is concerning con to consistently have such a gulf between the front row starters and the, the reserves that come on that we still haven't really seen yep. that gulf change at all. But I think we've spoken a lot about the Waratahs. Let's move on to the game of the round, which was the Queensland Reds and yeah, ACT Brumbies. It was played on Saturday night. The Reds came away 21-7 victors in this tightly contested battle. This little bit of history was made out of the last... Two years, the Queensland Reds and Brumbies have played each other. The margin has always been five points. The Brumbies have never been able to, haven't been able to beat the Queensland Reds in Suncorp since 2015. They came away victors, or Queensland came away victors this week, winning 21 to 7. So they did get that mark, monkey off the back. They were able to get away from that five point uh, buffer. What? Where should we start with this? There's so much to unpack in this game. What? Where? What are your initial thoughts of the game before we actually start into some targeted questions? Um, I think initial thoughts are that the Reds were very good for the win. They just definitely deserved it, and the scoreline is representative of that. Uh, the Brumbies are going to be bitterly disappointed with the quality of the performance that they put out there on Saturday night. And uh, again, it's going to be one of those really, really uncomfortable post-match reviews that they go through. Um, there are going to be some players who are not looking forward to that at all. And I think that they cannot wait that they need Noah Lulisiu back in number 10 as soon as they possibly can. 
Yeah, definitely. So, I guess first targeted question for this game. Was this more a trend of the Reds being too good or were the Brumbies a bit off the pace in this game? I think the Brumbies were off the pace because of a couple of the injuries that they had in place, but also because of the quality of of the um, Reds to be able to make those pressure, uh, to put that pressure upon the Brumbies. So, I mean, having Noah out and Rod Yona um, in there, like Yona's nowhere near as good as Noah Lolasi, um, but he is a serviceable-ish 10. And then having Tom Banks out and having Jesse Mogg start, then Jesse Mogg in his like... Well, that that Fourth take fifth minute that, yeah yeah well he went off in the 10th minute but he kind of did the injury in one of his first involvements in the game which was that huge up and under and an yeah. awesome take to re- re- reclaim the ball it was great play but i think he came down really badly on his knee then and he didn't recover and had to go off in the 10th minute when cam clark came on so when you've lost the backup fullback within the first 10 minutes of the game and you're having to bring on someone who's not a fullback. And um, was it Tom Wright that went back into fullback? For yeah, the I think it, yeah, it was. Yeah, like he's he's an out-and-out winger. I'm sure he can do an okay-ish ish job at fullback. But there's just, there were a whole bunch of injury concerns that the Brumbies weren't able to adapt to. And a lot of that came down to the quality of this Reds team and the pressure that they would have put on to force the errors, even even with um, Tualima getting the red card. Yep, definitely. And I think the fact that this game was played at Suncorp means that the Queensland Reds just take things to an extra level. They just grow an extra leg when they're playing there. And it really is a fortress. And they they did perform very well in this game. They have definitely lived up to their name of the Queensland Reds, being that this is round (laughs) six of Super, or round seven of Super Rugby Pacific. And this was their fourth red card. Um, So they've played four games this year with a man down. Yep. It, it's, yep. Just, it's just mind-boggling. And it's something that the the stand crew were talking to both the captain and, uh, so sorry, Tate McDermott and Brad Thorne about after the game was just, you're consistently putting yourselves at risk by having these, these players off the field and playing with a man down. Why are you doing it to yourselves? And yeah. um, they didn't really have an answer. Brad Thorne had a bit of a tongue-in-cheek response just saying that it's a Queensland thing. We're Queenslanders. We, we like to put ourselves in adverse <laughs> uh, situations, and, and that's where we perform well. What were your thoughts around the red card? Oh, look, I um, for what it was, I had no issue with the red card being given. If we're going to go back and question what Tualima could have done to get James Slipper out of that position. I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything he could have done just because of the the nature of how um, Slipper's body was within that scrum. He couldn't really, within that ruck, he couldn't really get under him. Uh, but it was a direct shoulder from distance with force to the face of James Slipper. Like, it, it's undoubtedly a red card. Um, if you're going to question whether or not um, Slipper should have been in that position in the first place, that's a different question. But in terms of the mm. reason why Tulima was given the red card, in my mind, it it fits the high tackle framework, um, and red and all that completely fine. It was the correct decision from a refereeing body. Yeah, and my only issue with that red card was the fact that the TMO decided to look at it. And if we look at every breakdown in slow motion and under an, a, a microscope like they did, we would probably find contact that meets the red card threshold nine out of ten times. There's always players coming in and clearing blokes out and 
accidentally making contact with heads and chins and all these kinds of areas. It's the fact that this TMI was getting so involved and really went under it, under the spotlight and brought it back in there that really frustrated me. If we had played on, I don't think we would have gone back and looked at it. Uh, we have contact like this in rugby all of the time. It's just, it's starting to get to a point where when is it acceptable for a TMO to come in and interject? Because there are instances that are going, um, that are getting missed, that are, are going un- unpunished, that are similar to that. This one probably just looks a little bit worse because he has run in from a few meters, but there are instances as well where a player is standing there at sort of pillar pillar or post position and sees someone come through and then just dives into the ruck and makes contact and it's not really looked at for. Yeah, look, I think um, in from my recollection, and I might be wrong, I thought um, it was Angus Gardner that was a reference. It was, yeah. Um, I thought Angus Gardner asked him to look at that and the TMO was like, yeah, I'm taking a look. But the overall point of um, when the TMO should be getting involved is is very valid. Was it the um, was it the Drua Tars game that had like four TMO involvements in the first fifteen minutes of the game? Yeah, it was, and um, two of those were overturned by the referee as not being relevant. Yeah, correct. And so, uh, look, I don't want to talk about the TMO cards too much more, if that's okay. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll say this, and then if you want to jump in, cool. But I just think we need to look at when is the TMO getting involved and for what. Um, and have that a little bit more clarity around that because it's slowing the game down too much and it's actually making it a pretty boring spectacle with regular TMO involvements. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it is always about... The, the reason they're doing this and they're clamping down so intently on it is for player welfare and they're not trying... They're trying to get rid of uh, un, unnecessary contact to players' heads and HIAs and concussions and those kinds of things, which is admirable and it's exactly what we need to be doing as a governing body and moving towards... But the fact is we're looking at everything now under a microscope and we're stopping the game so often to look at little minor things that the the players aren't even hurt from. James Slipper didn't go off with a HIA in this instance. He didn't even go off hurt. He sort of recoiled, put his hands to his face, got up and played on. So it, it's sort of a little bit like I, I we can't go down the path of being reactionary either and only looking at these instances when there has been um, a, a, an injury caused to the player. Um uh, but there is that point. Where do we draw the line? Where do we... Like, it's clear and obvious. That's fine. If it's like a one-on-one contest, it's clear there's been... A, a, a legal action has has been played. But when it's in a ruck or a mall and, and they're really looking for it, it just it starts to feel as a fan, like they're looking for a reason to give a card out. All right. I don't want to talk about referees or cards anymore, if that's okay. Um, We've spoken about it heaps already, and I want to talk about the awesome players that were on show this weekend. And one of them who had an absolutely fantastic game was Jordan Pattaya. So I've got a bit of a hot take here, mate. Yep. Uh, Bit of a hot take. My hot take is that Jock Campbell will not be at the Reds past 2023. And I'm not sure how hot that is. But I think it, at the very least is you have to blow on it a little bit before you try and eat some or yep. take a sip. Um, it's probably not going to be something that's going to burn a roof of your mouth, though. Okay. So okay. with Jordan Pattaya's move to 15, he's getting better and better each week. Still some issues in positioning, still some issues in making right decisions about picking a ball up in the um, de- defensive area. Like Still some areas that he needs to work out. Um, but he's getting better and better. Jock Campbell, I know he wasn't available this week, but he's not a good winger. He's an excellent fullback. 
And so if Pattaya's got a mortgage on a 15 jersey at the moment under Brad Thorne and potentially Dave Rennie wanting to see him there for potential Wallabies opportunities, then what does Jock Campbell do? He's either going to move club or go overseas. And at his age, he should be going to Japan or France and raking in the money and all power to him. Oh, unless he's pushing for that Wallabies jersey. I mean, he could pretend, I could see him doing well at a team like the Western Force or the Melbourne Rebels. Potentially. Potentially. Fingers crossed. Yeah, look, I lose and him. this is for me as a fan of Jock Campbell. Mm. Um, you know I really like him. But yep. I just think that his position at the Reds, he's going to be second fiddle to Jordan Pattaya, yep. quite likely, um, because the centre stocks at the Reds are full, so Pattaya won't move in there. Wings are pretty sorted. So Pattaya at 15 is a good choice. What does that do to Campbell? Well, puts him on a bench uh, or puts him on a wing, and he's not going to be as good there, so he's probably going to look overseas. Yeah, and the Queensland Reds do have this unusual situation where they have such a plethora of talent in the back line that they've got players who aren't even able to crack the 23. We've got players uh, through injury or for for other form issues. Vunuvalu hasn't played at all yet this year. Dalgunu played this week from due to injury to Fluke, but uh, I think, was it Fluke that went, got out injured? Anyway, so uh, Dalgunu came in this week for his 50th cap. Um, for a player that went out injured earlier in the week. Those guys haven't been able to crack the 23 so far this year. So as, as you said, there is a lot of talent there on in the bench and, and waiting. And, and we've got players like um, Isaac Henry as well, who's not always starting coming off the bench, but he's going to get better and better as things wear on. So it's, it's not a bad shout to say that he might have to move clubs to to get some, some valid game time under his belt, particularly if he wants to push for that Wallabies dream. It was Jock Campbell that was injured. Um, Jock Campbell. And how good was Jordan Pattaya's break through the middle? Um, but look, the the thing I love is that he has the, the vision, the ability and the pace to be able to accelerate into that gap around the edges of the rock. And that was Bobby Valentini's not being fast enough to reload after getting up from the bottom of the scrum, uh, bottom of the rock. Uh, it was actually off the back of a... Um, a kickoff return. And so Bobby Valentini's gone up, targeted Harry Wilson, done a massive hit, uh, got turned over soon after, which I want to speak about in a moment. And then after the turnover, Pattaya's accelerated through the gap and then freaking run away from his support. His support was on the left or on the inside and he's kind of stepped off his left and gone out and then got tackled and in subsequent um, play, Tate McDermott's knocked it on and tackle. So look, there's still some areas for Pattaya to be improving, but damn, mm. he's exciting when he gets the ball in space. Yeah, and he's getting better and better every week, isn't he? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Quick thing with that, with the with the restarts. So you got players like Kabusilov, um, Harry Wilson, Bobby Valentini are the ones that are kind of picking up and spell. drawing it back. Yeah, the have you noticed a tendency where there are turnovers that are happening after those tackles? Mm-hmm. Because the players that's got their head of steam up is kind of running and charging his way in burst through the tackle or at least usually gets kind of the ascendancy within that tackle or collision zone gets over. But then there's a player like Fraser McWright just waiting for him to hit the ground and then to jackal onto the ball. And so I think that there could actually be something said to not go as hard as you are with those kick receipts and just make sure that you can retain possession. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's all about support play, isn't it? You've got a player like Harry Wilson, who's running full pelt. He's come from deep, uh, in his own half, but he doesn't have a player like, in his case, he doesn't have a Fraser McRide or um, a Sarah Uru on his hip to to get to effectively clean out the ball and can, and keep it there. And as you're saying, it's becoming 
an easy turnover opportunity. It's probably a coaching area that we haven't really started to master yet. It's all fun and games at the moment, and it's a great spectacle to see these big boys running with the ball, similar to sort of rugby league when you've got those big contacts and collisions. But then you sort of forget that, oh, wait, we are a contest sport, and he goes to ground there, and the player comes straight over the top and steals the ball. Yep, yep. So I think that um, some of the defensive coaches are targeting that pretty well, but I'm not sure if the attacking coaches have that in mind enough or maybe the players just aren't executing it yet. Um, anything else you want to talk about from this game before we move on, my friend? Oh, I just uh, I think we the Brumbies will be kicking themselves about this. They, they were top of the competition. They were looking good up the top there. The Queensland Reds have now equaled them in equal points up on the top, so they're sort of currently sitting one and two. On Super Rugby Pacific, they would have loved to have gotten the victory here and and sort of pushed ahead from Queensland and and started that gap moving into the second half of the competition. They didn't play particularly well, though, and it's the first time this year we've really seen them not play to their full potential. I think there's going to be a lot of work from both Dan McKellar and Laurie Fisher this week, but I have all faith in them that they can bounce back from this. I think the Brumbies have the bye next week with the Waratahs, yeah. Um, or is it the Reds that have the No, bike? Reds and Tars. It's Reds, Reds and Tars. So the Brumbies do play yeah. next week. So I have all expectation that they'll bounce back from this and they'll put uh, a pretty convincing victory on the team that they're playing. I think from memory it's the Force. But I could be wrong. Um, maybe. I know the Force. Or the Drua. Maybe it's the Drua. Yes, yeah, the Drua, actually. It's yeah. definitely the Drua. Yeah, so. um, the Force are playing the Tars in two weeks' time. Um, okay. I know that. So Highlanders, Moana, Force, Rebels, Canes, Satyrs, Chiefs, Blues, Drua, Brumbies. Um, so Force and Rebels, Drua, Brumbies. Um, so that'll be a big game for both the Rebels and the Brumbies. Brumbies will need to be making a statement after a very disappointing loss and the Rebels are going to want to continue their form, but the Force will be playing at home in front of a packed crowd and wanting to get back into some of the um, more promising form that they showed earlier in the competition. So a couple of mouth-watering uh, matchups there. Definitely, definitely. Now, we did have... Uh, we, we don't seem we to have Blues, the Moana and the Canes. I've got them for us, mate. So we had a couple of other matches as well across the weekend. You had the Blues who had the second matchup in, what, four days against Moana Pacifica. Yeah. And this time it was more of an A team for both of the teams. And the Blues got up 46 to 16. It was an absolutely dominant performance, particularly from the forward pack. Um, my boy, Kurt Eklund, who's in my fantasy team, got a hat trick of tries off the back of Rolling Moors. Your so boy, but you had long no idea that... existed. Yeah, I didn't know he existed. Weeks. Ago. Fantasy. No, no, no. Six weeks ago. Thank you. Have you had him all, um, all year? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. So he's been doing very well. He's one of the best fantasy players this season um, from a forwards perspective. So I'm very, very happy about that random pickup I had. Better than Angus um, Ah, uh, That's a good question. I think so, just because he's scored. Um, and he's probably like played a bit five or more six minutes. tries. Yeah, yeah. He's played most games um, for the Blues, which is great. For me, for me. Um, anyway, moving away from that, the Blues genuinely were just dominant. I watched the second half of this game and um, Moana Pacifica were really quite poor in terms of their ball handling. Um, they conceded way too many turnovers and gave away too many penalties as well. Um, so they just weren't able to compete, particularly their defensive mall was really poor um they weren't getting their bodies low enough they weren't defending as a unit against the rolling mall they were just basically going one or two men into it at a time and the blues were just punishing them 
relents or sweet in that space. So uh, yeah, a lot of work ons for Moana moving forward. And then you also have the Hurricanes versus the Chiefs that happened this afternoon. And the Chiefs got up 30 to 29 away against the Canes. So that was a very exciting finish with the Hurricanes coming home very, very closely um, in the final minutes with the Artie Severe try and conversion to bring them within one point. Uh, but the Chiefs were able to hold on uh, for the win. So any comments you want to make on either of those two games before we move on to the oh, locker room? Purely personal, but it was great to see that result from the Chiefs. That got me a bonus point in Super Brew. I got within the margin, which is the first time I think this year that I've got one of those. I am tipping horrendously this year so far. <laughs> um, so that was fun to see. Uh, I guess on the Moana Pacific game, it's it's such an uphill battle that the Moana are facing this year. Yep. Three games in the space of 10 days this week. COVID again goes through the, the team. The Aaron Major, their coach, wasn't at the game. He was in isolation. I think from what I, a report I read today, they had six or seven of their 23 players that they wanted to play who couldn't make the second game this week, um, mm-hmm. who were also in isolation at home in, in Auckland. So it's just, it's it's really tough, first of all, to, to be a new team that doesn't have a lot of depth and a lot of experience at this level. But then again, to get COVID through your... Um, your team so many times throughout the year to then have to bat- battle and match up to, uh, three times in 10 days. It's really tough, but they're hanging in there and they're not playing as badly as you would probably think a new team would under those circumstances. So they are still playing some really good footy. Um, they are up against the best nation of rugby in the world, arguably. So I think they still need to hold their heads up high because I think when we get to the the Trans-Tasman crossover in a few weeks, we probably will start to realize how good rugby they're playing when they're playing against teams like the Western Force um, and the Melbourne Rebels. I'm very excited to see the Andrua versus Moana Pacifica matchup. That's going to be an absolute cracker of a game. And fingers crossed all, all things go ahead uh, with COVID and whatnot, but that game is meant to be a doubleheader played in Sydney. So it is a Fiji and... In drew a home game played out at Parramatta. I think from memory it's like a two o'clock kickoff, and then the Waratahs play later that night at Leichhardt Oval against I want to say the Hurricanes, but I might be um, wrong with who they're um, playing. But that that's going to be a fantastic game, and I'm looking forward to that day for sure. I'm going to need to book in a pass for that that day. That you you need fantastic. to book in a pass for the the next few Waratahs home games. No, I have I have already. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, ones, put it out there. Hey mate, you're Put the one. That, you've you've been to just as few as I have, thank you. I went to um, a away game. I went to away game. <laughs> yeah, well done, well done. All right, cool. Why don't we jump on into the locker room, my friend? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's go. Right, we move now to the locker room, which is in some ways my favourite part of the show because we get to hear from you, our dear listeners. And starting off, we have the Super W Ambassador, Hugh underscore 96 on Twitter, who is asking, if the Super W Tars meet the Fijiana and Drua again, hopefully in the final, what changes do they need to make? I think I spoke to that a little bit when we were talking about the Mm -hmm. match earlier, Mitch. So what do you think some of the changes the Tars will need to make for a potential matchup? Yeah, I um I like the idea of uh, Ara- Arabella McKenzie moving into 10, like you suggested, from fullback. Um, Mahalia Murphy has been playing the house down this year, so I think just her anywhere in that back line adds a whole lot of talent. So having those 
two players shift and back on the field is going to do wonders for the team. But really, they just need to, I think, adjust their game their game plan a little bit better. Probably try and stick more to set piece. As we saw this week, they scored some good easy points off set piece um, and try and slow the pace of the game down. Don't give the Fijiana and Drua the option or the the time and space to run the ball from counter-attack because like New Zealand, we can see that they score a lot of points through that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that ties in well to Hugh Tyndall's response to that question, actually, that he also thinks that a fit and firing Mahalia Murphy and moving Arabella McKenzie to 10 is a good play and that we had them leaked in a set piece but need to shut down offloads and then play territory. Tars played a lot of ball in hand. Um, they did, and I think that actually tied them a uh, significant amount so that their defensive integrity was then weakened as a result of that. Um, so what we're going to do is... <coughs> We're going to move into a bit of a section where we're going to talk through some of the comments that have come in regarding all the cards across the weekend. Um, We obviously spoke about a few of these points during our earlier review of um, round seven, but there are a few points here that we're going, I'll, I'll just go through like three or four questions or comments in a row, and then we might get a few a bit more discussion about it. Okay, Mitch? Yep. So starting off with Old Glory and Tars Fan. We don't like all the cards, but are they really ruining each game? I don't think so. The commentators make a huge deal of it, and that magnifies it. These second man in red cards hits are a lesson don't come in. So that's somebody who's not having as much of an issue um, or doesn't think that the focus on the cards needs to be so significant. Uh, Secondly, we've got Myers. Oh dear, some of the red card calls were a little suspicious, but I suppose all us fans can hope for is consistency by the refs. So, Mitch, I might throw this one to you here and kind of reference the Bobby Valentini yellow card and then Caleb Clark red card for potential um, cards throughout the weekend that were a little bit more debatable. Yeah, and I think one of the areas that I guess both of them have said, we want consistency and we want to, the referees to get the, the actions right and the calls right. And we've got no issue with the calls that were made over the weekend. Under the current framework that they have been given by World yeah. Rugby, they made the right decisions. No, no, we're not sitting here saying any referee did the wrong thing and gave the wrong card out. Uh, I would have liked both of those uh, yellow red cards to Caleb Clark and to Rob, Bobby Valentini to be yellow. Um, his was I, a yellow. Bobby's, Bobby Valentini. Oh, it was yellow. So I would have preferred his to be a penalty then, um, mitigate yep. it down. I think one area that we're not looking at in the framework currently is, is there action? We're looking at mitigation, but we're not looking at, is there action or effort by the player to avoid the contact or to reduce the severity of the contact? Now, if we have that sort of wording in there, I think that mitigates Valentini's yellow card down to a penalty only because... He did everything he possibly could have to not hit Tate high. He dropped his body height. He went low. I don't agree that he made head contact at all. If there's some freeze frames going around of where the contact was made and his arm is actually lower than Tate's and he hits Tate on the chest with the ball. It doesn't actually hit him in the face. It's, it's like his bicep that hits Tate's head as he's kind of going in. And that happens in every tackle. Exactly. That's the thing that confused me. Um, I might just jump in here, mate, and go through the head contact process as well, Um, just as though I'm a ref here within this um, particular situation. So has head contact occurred? Unfortunately, there's not a maybe option. Um, I'd love love it if there were, if there was, but let's let's say that yes, head contact has occurred, even though we might slightly disagree on that point. Um, Is there foul play? 
See, I don't actually, I went through and read through the world rugby guidelines on like the laws on what foul play is. And I was uh, looking at this. I didn't think it was actually foul play unless you're doing it under 9.11, which is player must not do anything that's reckless or dangerous to others. I don't think it was reckless. I don't think it was particularly dangerous either. So that was um, kind of my bigger issue within this is that, Look, even if you're saying that it is, there is head contact, I'd be arguing that it's not actually foul play because it's so such a low degree of danger in any case that a penalty kick was at most the deserved outcome for this. I don't see why they were even potentially having to talk themselves down from a red card because it was never, like they should always be starting from a penalty and then working up from there, not starting at a, at a red and then moving down in my that's opinion. That's right. Well, that's what they seem to me at the moment is when there has mm. been head contact, when they start there, has head contact been made? Yes. Okay, we're starting at red. So they start, once there's head contact, they start at red, they work down. Like if you look at yep. Taniela Tupo's trip, they didn't, I mean, granted they didn't go through the framework and, Angus Gardner just called him over and gave him a yellow straight away. But they never went... If you go through the process, they don't start at red and go down. They probably yeah. start at penalty and go up. Yeah. And so, look, okay, let's keep on going. Um, and then we can bring up Cable Clarks a little bit later because mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll come in. Uh, so this comes from Julia, Julia Templer um, on Twitter. Lots of disapproving tuts from up north regarding the Red Count Super Rugby Pacific. With some justification, to be fair... We're going to get hammered by the Northern Northern Hemisphere refs at next year's Rugby World Cup, apparently. What can our coaches do between now and then to fix tackle styles? Uh, And just as a quick point, before you talk about that tackle style stuff, Mm -hmm. is Hugh Tyndall mentioning it's not like the English Premiership is card-free. The other week they had 19 yellows and three reds in a single weekend. So Northern Hemisphere need to check themselves first. So that's just an interesting point to shove in there. But in terms of kind of coaching expectations, any thoughts around that? Uh, It just needs to be spoken about. And I don't think it's being addressed currently. Uh, when when we, we've had this as a theme in probably the last three weeks of Super Rugby Pacific, and whenever you look at the media addressing these issues with coaches, whether it's through post-match interviews on the broadcast or in the uh, post-match press conferences, when the coaches are asked about these issues, they usually give some form of uh, reasoning or expectation around a different card and not liking to see a red card used but an orange. We've had lots of conversation around that but there's never been any sort of talk or ownership from the the coaches they're not taking ownership it doesn't seem like they're actually specifically talking about this with their players at training it doesn't look like they're coaching them to go low so one of the themes that and i think the reason that we are seeing so many cards this year is that teams are trying to win the contest they're first of all trying to put in a big dominant tackle and make meters in that contact make the player with the ball go backwards. But second, they're trying to wrap them up and keep the ball high, keep them off the ground to turn to get a turnover in a mall situation um, or to prevent the offload. They're not going low and just taking the play to ground, which is what we used to do and what they kind of teach in sort of under 10s is hit the shorts, take the play to ground, then try and get the possession back through uh, counter-ruck. I think it's it, it might be a um, unintended unintended consequence of the depowering of the jackala that we've seen over the last couple of years. So with a greater emphasis upon um, making players uh, supporting their body weight, it just means that there's less value in going for chop tackles and giving a player like uh, Fraser McWright an opportunity to kind of poach over the top. Um, Instead, players are more and more trying to uh, kind of do a 
what is it, a wrap tackle, um, yep. where they're holding them up and going for a mall turnover mm. from that situation. So it's just one of those, like, the laws of unintended consequences where they've made a change and depowered jacklers because they're trying to protect jacklers from not getting smashed in the head from clearing players. But what that's actually done is meant that the speed of the game's increased. The players are now trying to do more upright tackles in order to um, get, the, get the ball turned over that way. So there are a few other points that have come in here. D Douglas Gardner on Facebook uh, said, the stand commentary team need to stop throwing out apology for players or apologies for players exhibiting bad technique or deliberately offending in a way that looks accidental. So looking at something like Taniela's trip or the waving of the hand near the ball for a knockdown, a la Cam Clark, uh, teams and players are consciously making a choice that a penalty or a yellow is better than five to seven points on the board. I haven't seen any cards which are not the result of a player making a choice in how they played. So that's that's an interesting point. A lot of the cards this weekend can be clearly identified, apart from Rob Valentini's card, as decisions that they made that have gotten them into trouble. Nemanja Nagusa's was a late hit that he mm -hmm. could have pulled out of. Yep. Um, Taniela's trip, yeah. Cam Clark, yeah. Caleb Clark as well. He really... His one is a bit interesting, but you could still argue that as soon as he makes a decision to leave his air, it's putting himself in a position where it could well be dangerous because he can't control his direction or what happens once he's in the air. And I think that um, with that Clark situation, we'll talk about it quickly now, is I think, again, that comes back to that coaching situation. And one of the things that Dalton Papali'i, the captain, said to the referee in response to the card being given was shock and bewilderment in saying, doesn't he have right of way being in the air. So it seems like he's been coached that if you put yourself in the air, you have right of way. It doesn't matter where you land or how you land or what consequence you have on that player underneath you, you're in the air. So they have to get out of your way, which is completely different and reversed to how the referee actually refereed this situation. He said, you put yourself in an unrealistic position to go for the ball. You put yourself in a dangerous position when you've come down and made head contact with the Moana winger, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but and that's the situation. So again, it sort of comes down to the way that the players have been coached. We've we've seen it a few times in the past where a uh, player going up for a ball has stuck his foot out and caught um, the oncoming player in the face with their boot. It's the same basic principle that you still can't act in a reckless way despite the fact that you're in the air. It's not as though you're kind of like. Uh, immune from consequence or repercussion at this point. So I think Leon McDonald's views uh, defending Caleb Clark there were just a little bit, um, I just don't think they were right, to be honest. Uh, but moving on now, I think we'll jump back. Do we have anything else? Uh, the only uh, last point uh, I wanted to say around this is, and I think it does come back to that coaching, that we have yep. to understand that these players in these situations have a split second to make a decision. Like, mm. yes, they're professionals. Yes, they're playing a very high-impact, high, high fast-paced game, but they still only have one or two seconds to see a situation, see a picture, and make the right choice. So in the instance of the red, the Queensland Reds yellow card, he's looked at that breakdown, seen slippers hanging around over the top of it and thought, I've been coached that I need to get that player out of the way. He's going to get a pilfer. So he runs in from a distance and makes, makes a hit. He gets it wrong, and he hits him on the chin. Um, and gets a red card for it. So the situation now falls back on the coaches to really give them more understanding of can I, and to, to change their thought process in those instances to say, can I actually do this in a safe way? Do I have enough skill, time, pace, 
um, technique to be able to get rid of Slipper from that situation from where I'm currently standing without hitting him in the face. He probably then thinks, no, I don't. I won't engage in that. And that's where it comes down to. It's coaching these players to give them the skill set and the thought process around these uh, instance, uh, quick, uh, one-second situations to make the right decision because at the moment, they're consistently making the wrong ones. Thank you again to Nick Wilson for your comments. I think we'll kind of move on from yep. um, tackles and cards and stuff like that. So um, thank you for your contribution. And I think we have covered all the ones that we're looking at some of the um, untoward incidents from the weekend. But why don't we move into a really interesting question here from Kenny Glenn Braun. G'day, lads. Who would be your three overseas-based players for the England series? Um, Mitch, just be aware that we can't pick players from Europe because Dave Rennie has said that he won't be. So it would only be Japanese-based players um, that you can bring into the squad. So who are your three? Ooh, that three is a spanner. Uh, if I was bringing them in for England, so... Yep. Uh, Samu Krevi, Quay Cooper, both of those yep. players, particularly at the moment with Noel Alessio with a foot injury. Uh, James O'Connor looks to be the the choice at 10, but you know we don't know what Captain Quaid's going to do when he gets back. Uh, outside of that, probably Marika Corabetti. Yep. Those are the, probably the three. I don't think there's any... Bernard Foley's still playing, mate. No, I was going to say, I don't think there's any forwards based in <laughs> Japan that are really pushing for a selection to come back. No, I mean, look, if we were Nelson Dale, we'd be yelling out for um, Isaac Lucas to be coming back. I said forward, or, mate. I know, I know, I know. And I was about to go, or maybe Harry Hawkins. Uh, but he doesn't have any body of work to be relying upon from a kind of um, yeah. Australian perspective. He had a lot of promise and then went overseas before he really got to demonstrate that on the home shore. That's it. Can we just unpack that for a second, the comment you made? Has Dave Rennie specifically said he's not bringing in any European place based players? I'm- I'm like 80 to 85% certain that that is correct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They've been playing in Europe. They've been playing against these players. They've been playing with these players we're playing. That seems really short-sighted. I'm pretty pretty sure. Um, We'll have to go back. I'll see if whilst we're talking, I can quickly go through. No, that's fine. That's fine. I just hadn't seen that and it just, it doesn't necessarily line up, but that's fine. That's fine. Yep. Cool. All right. Carrying on. Um, so another question here from Chris Lamb. So this question is, if we're looking forward to 2023, which is Capitals only a year away, do you think with the mongrel and inspiration with which, which with which the Reds play, they should have a few more players getting the call up in the Wallaby squad? With key players out of the Red squad all together through injury and even with the seven-man scrum, they were dominating the Brumbies all over the park last night. If we want to get serious about winning Webby again, surely they've made a valid point. So what do you think basically about the fact that there are so many Brumbies within this team? There are more Waratahs, from what I understand, within the Wallaby squad than there are Reds. And yet the Reds have just in many ways dominated the Brumbies team last night. Should we be seeing more Reds in the squad? Uh, why aren't we? Should we see more Reds in the squad? Yes, probably. I I wouldn't be upset to see some more of them get selected and for the the performances they've put on the field so far this year, why they aren't getting selected. I think it goes back to the TWI or cohesion theory of game line analytics that they are trying to put together and increase the the effectiveness of the Wallabies forward pack um, with a, a much, at least amount of game time together as possible. So they're trying to basically pick a forward pack that's predominantly based on one super rugby team. At the moment, that is the Brumbies, purely because Dan McKellar 
has built that forward pack over the last few years and is currently the Wallabies forward coach. I think they're playing a very similar game to what the Brumbies normally play. They are using the line out and the more particularly as an attacking weapon. Um, and so I think that's the reason why they've got so many uh, Brumbies players currently picked there because they're sort of making the skeleton crew of that forward pack Brumbies yeah. with interspersing talent throughout like Tupo, like Angus Bell off the bench, uh, like oh, Michael but- Hooper. Um, Taniela Tupo was just destroying a world-class Brumbies front row. Like that was just incredible. The performance that he put on last night to, uh, I'm not say maybe, maybe not dominating the Brumbies, but bossing them around. And James Slipper was having a bloody hard time going up against him. And he's probably the, um, best scrummaging prop or best, uh, tight head prop in Australian rugby. So that's just really, really difficult um, for them to be coming up against. But it also speaks to, um, I think that the the strength of having someone like Taniela Tupo in the Reds pack might actually kind of overstate the quality of their scrum a little bit, Mm. because I feel like if you take him out of it and you replace him with the backup who... Who would the backup be? Fairway? Yeah, probably. Fotowaka. Um, uh, yep. So he might he might come in. The the Reds pack in my mind would be significantly weakened. Whereas if you replace um James Slipper, I don't think the impact on the scrum would be as significant for the Brumbies. Yep. Um, but look, that's kind of speaking around the issue a little bit. Um, I agree. I think that the Reds rightfully could be claiming that they should have more players in the upcoming squad for the England series. But Hey, this is just a training camp that they're in at the moment. And we'll see how things go over the coming days or over the coming weeks and months when the actual squads are announced. Yep. But I think even if we have the very best Queensland Reds team against the very best uh, Brumbies team, if we play that game anywhere, that's not Suncorp, I think the Brumbies win five out of six times. If we look every all of the Brumbies players fit, all the best players being picked on the on the park, I think the Brumbies win five out of six times. Yeah, the home ground advantage for the Reds is fantastic. Suncorp is an absolute fortress. And it's not even um, it's not even the, the crowd. They could mm. potentially play at Suncorp under COVID conditions with no crowd. It's just the way that Brad Thorne has coached them, has instilled this Queenslander mentality that that's their home, they have to perform well there. They would yep. probably still win. You yep. play it in Canberra, you play it in Sydney. I think the, the Brumbies get the win. All right. Hugh Tindall asks, how excited are we about the Tars sneaking a top eight spot potentially? Did the maths and a win against the Force in a couple of weeks and it's on. Drua, Moana Pacifica, Rebels and Highlanders most likely out of it already. And then there's some back and forth about the Highlanders still have a shot if they can win maybe four or five, four out of five of the upcoming Aussie games. Um, look, I'm stoked for the Waratahs season. What is it? Four out of seven so far that they've won. Um, yeah, so four, and, four, th- four and three. Yeah, four and three. So they have just done incredibly well considering the depths of despair that we were in last season. Um, any quick comments about your excitement before we look at wrapping this locker room up? Oh, I just I mean, I've I've got my tattoo of Waratahs 2022 Super Rugby Pacific Champions already sketched on my butt. So. <laughs> That's how confident I am. Everybody, that's where your coffee money is going, to Mitch's ass. (laughs) (laughs) 
oh, don't, I, what have uh, I walked myself into? I've probably just committed to something, haven't I? You really have. I think if if the Waratahs end up Super Rugby champions this year, then you need to get a tattoo on your butt proclaiming that. Oh, dear. Um, and I will pay for that using the podcast money. How does that sound? You have to talk to my <laughs> wife and get her over the line first. No, I don't. She doesn't need to know about it. Ask for oh, forgiveness. She doesn't not need permission. to know. Okay. No. Nah. No. All right, mate. Um, I think that's it from the locker room. Now we have something pretty exciting. We wanted to just sneak in at the end. We are going to be having an interview from a pretty high profile Western force player coming up, hopefully on Thursday night this week. We'll put it out on our socials, but get involved. Make sure you start thinking up some juicy questions. Don't worry. We'll be talking about the coaching changes. Don't worry. We'll be talking about a bit of a mid-season review. So we'll hit on those particular points. But but if there are any specifics that you want us to dive into, please Simon, make sure get, your questions you get in, involved. Mate. Yeah, Simon Nelson, get involved. Um, and all you rabid force fans who think we don't talk about you as much. Well, you're on a buy this week, so we couldn't mention you at all. But at least you're getting a chat here at the end of the pod. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure being here with you. It's been fun. Uh, looking forward to the chat coming up and uh, more rugby this coming weekend. Sounds absolutely great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a great night. Bye. Bye. Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod.